the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Coming up this hour, how can we stand against racism? And later, we're joined by Tio Hardiman, the Executive Director for Violence Interrupters, NFP. You're listening to The Common Good. everybody. Welcome to The Common Good on this Friday afternoon. My name is Aubrey Sampson, and I am joined by a very special co-host today, a very handsome co-host today. That is my husband, Kevin Sampson. Hi, Kevin. How you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me today, Aubrey. We are so glad that you're here filling in for Brian. He couldn't be here today. So Kevin uh, generously decided to join us. So this should be a fun fun show. And I wanted to kick off the show today, Kevin, by talking about something that I know you are deeply passionate about. And actually, because of your passion, I have become more passionate about it. I think this is something all human beings should be passionate about. And that is standing against racism. Um, So let me just begin by asking a question. You're a white guy. You're a pastor. You're evangelical. Often often those uh, categories don't sort of lend themselves to someone who's as actively against racism as you are. Can you tell us how you became passionate about this issue? Um, I think it's, it really was birthed out of a just relationships with uh, people of color and just really seeing their experience and, and being able to hear uh, the kind of things that they had to face as people of color in uh, both the neighborhood I grew up in, as well as, um, you know, other neighborhoods that they're from and it being totally different from what I had to experience and just really starting to see that there is a, there's something going on here, um, in, in our, all most communities that, uh, people of color really face things that, that I never did. So I just really learned a lot about it. And then, um, through that journey, uh, really began to see how the scriptures talked about, um, you know, racial and ethnic differences and how uh, we ought to uh, really live differently. And so, um, God has just really cultivated a, just a, a passion to, you know, really speak directly to uh, these issues that uh, so many people face. And, um, and, and so, that, that's, that's how it started. And uh, yeah, as a pastor, you know, people are saying all kinds of different things about it, but really believe that God has uh, is really calling us as followers of Jesus Christ to um, take racism seriously and stand alongside our brothers and sisters of color and and uh, really help us all grow and uh, really deal with this. And because God wants to take us to a better place. And Kevin, um, you just mentioned the scriptures and how that has informed a lot of your anti-racism activism. Can you um, tell us maybe just something from scripture that has really empowered you? Yeah, we actually were at our church in the middle of a series in the book of Ruth. And there is the story of Ruth. She comes from a different country. She's a different ethnicity. She's actually also a refugee coming into the um, uh, 
country of Israel with no power and nothing, um, no, uh, really no food. And the, the first way that uh, she's, she's uh, the people of Israel, this person named Boaz, he calls her my daughter. And it's this really dignifying uh, picture. And it's contrasted with some of the other people in the scene uh, in the book of Ruth or just keep referring to her as a Moabite and which is derogatory. And yet here is this, you know, this guy who's a picture of godliness and really expressing God's heart and calls her my daughter. And so that's just one example. But you, you see in the book of Ephesians where the Apostle Paul talks directly about uh, taking down uh, the walls of hostility uh, that exists between uh, Jews and Gentiles, two you know racial ethnic groups, and and so yes, yeah, Scripture speaks directly to uh, these very kind of you know racial tensions and racial walls that we've created. Um, scripture speaks directly to ours as well. Mm, that's that's so helpful to hear, Kevin. And I, I wonder, are there certain people, certain authors, certain influences in your life that have inspired you to to learn, I guess, most importantly, and then to speak out against racism? Yeah, I've I've had one of the best books I've ever read was is the autobiography uh, by Nelson Mandela. And um, he, both his journey and just all that he had to go through and all that he overcame, um, was just really inspired me. And so, uh, he's, that's, he's been one, but then kind of from that same South African apartheid movement was a guy named Desmond Tutu. And he's the archbishop, um, of the Anglican church in South Africa. And, uh, he, the way he would talk about racism was just, really incredible to me because he was a black man who experienced the worst of apartheid. And yet he, he basically defined racism as anything that uh, treat is treating anyone as if they aren't made in the image of God. That's really what Mm. racism is. And, Mm. and that was really helpful to me. And, but he was also very uh, hopeful in, in the way that, um, you know, that we can actually do something about this. And, and so he was just this really the kind of this model from afar. He's an, an author and that I could see like, wow, here's someone who's just experienced the worst of it and yeah. the pain. And yet at the same time, uh, he like he, he's doing this out of compassion and, and out of a love for Christ and a love for the world. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, those, those are a few that have been really instrumental for me early on. I know for me, um, and I know, Kevin, because we've read this together in a group, but Jamar Tisby's books have been really meaningful for me, The Color of Compromise and How to Fight Racism. We've had Jamar on the show, actually. And yeah, if you, yeah. If you missed our conversation with him, you can go back and uh, catch up on our podcast, or you can go to our website, 1160hope.com. But that was an incredible conversation. And he's he's doing a lot, I think, to equip the evangelical church with some very practical handholds about the history of racism in the church and then what we can do about it and what steps we can actually take. So he's someone else I would recommend. Um, Kevin, there was an article at the New York Times. This was actually a while ago, I think all the way back in February, but I thought it was really interesting. Students um, in America were asked about race and racism. These are teenagers, so mostly high school students. And I want to... 
I want to just read a couple of these responses to you. There's a girl named Naomi in Georgia. She says, as a black girl, I've dealt with a lot of comments from others over the years pertaining to my skin color and other features that make me a person of color. I still remember girls telling me my hair looked, quote, normal after straightening it or girls petting my curly hair and calling it, quote, different, treating me not like a person, but an exotic object. And then she says, during the summer, when moments like the Black Lives Matter protest took place, I realized how many of my friends, and that was in quotes, quote, friends weren't willing to say anything and made me feel sad knowing they decided to stay silent. I also couldn't believe the city I was born in would later be known as the city where the life of Floyd was taken. Um, I, you know, I know you and I, you and I, Kevin, are two white people having this conversation. So it's really not even right for us to be trying to be voices on this, but we have sat with groups of friends of color who have shared such painful stories like Naomi's. And if that doesn't break your heart, like if that doesn't convince you to take a stand against racism, then I don't know what will. Aubrey, why do you think this has been, you know, typically a hard conversation to have in the church? Yeah, I I think that's a really important question, Kevin. And I, you know, with the minute that we have left, I'll give a really broad answer. I honestly think two things. I think that it butts up against our own idolatry and whether or not we want to admit it, we love our own ethnicity. And um, anytime our idolatry is stepped on, we react with just in visceral, terrible ways. And actually, that should be a sign for us. Like if you are responding to something so emotionally, getting so defensive, your blood is boiling, that should be a trigger, a sign for you to go, oh, God, wow. Something is up in my heart right now. Can you show me what's going on? I So I think it's our idolatry. I also think that there are, and this is going to sound really spiritual, and for some of our listeners, they may get this. I think that there are actual spiritual strongholds in America from our years of slavery that are still here. And I think there are hundreds of years of demonic strongholds that needs to be broken in and through the name of Jesus, in and through the church. And those have not been broken yet because as white people, we have been unwilling to admit that we have this violent history and unwilling to admit that it still impacts us today. And I think, and and, you know, the Holy Spirit is powerful. God is powerful. And good days are coming whether or not we're willing to do the work. But I think healing will happen when we'll get on our knees and repent for our history and we'll see a new day. So stick around. Kevin and I will be talking with T.O. Hardiman, the executive director for Violence Interrupters NFP in the city of Chicago. He's working for peace amongst all of the violence we're seeing in the city. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good on this Friday afternoon. My name is Aubrey Sampson, and I am joined by my special guest co-host, my husband, Kevin Sampson. And we are thrilled right now to be joined by Tio Hardiman. He's the executive director for Violence Interrupters, NFP. He has dedicated his life and career to community organizing for peace and social change. He is passionate about ending violence in Chicago. And Tio, we are so thrilled to have you with us today. It's an honor to be here with you all today, for sure. Tio, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yes, I was, uh, you know, born and raised in the city of Chicago. I kind of, uh, I was raised on the south and west side of Chicago. Kind of, um, you know, over the Henry Horner projects over around the United Center area on the near west side of Chicago. 
around 79th and Cottage Road. They call it Avalon Park Community. Um, I witnessed firsthand a lot of the devastation that comes along with gun violence because of the, you know, the communities in which I was raised in, uh, you had a lot of gun violence, a lot of gang issues in those particular areas, but you had a lot of good people taking care of business as well, working class people. Uh, some people just decided to go, uh, uh, you know, into a, in, in another direction, but I'm, Put it like this, I pretty much represent the, bo- the best of both worlds, in other words, because uh, growing up in a situation like that is kind of tough. I saw mm-hmm. a lot of my friends, a lot of my friends join gangs. Uh, I never was a gang member myself, but I was. I used to run the streets as a former street hustler type of minded guy, former promoter. Uh, I used to promote a lot of uh, you know parties and stage plays and stuff like that. I always loved entertainment, but I dropped out of high school. Uh, you know, I used to attend Hearst High School. You know, you know, some years, many, many years ago, but I dropped out, but I did uh, go back to school and I, I obtained my GED, then my associate's degree, then I obtained my bachelor's degree, then I obtained my master's degree as well in 2004. So I paid it forward because I was raised by my grandparents and my mother, and I wanted to make sure their good work did not go down in vain. That's the reason why I did uh, re-enroll back into school to graduate okay. as a college uh, with my master's degree. Wow, that that's incredible. Sh- share, share about your work with violence interrupters and what it looks like. Well, you know, I created the Violence and Interrupter Initiative back in 2004 as well, while I was serving as the uh, director of Ceasefire Illinois. And with Violence and Interrupters, what it's all about is that I hire credible messengers that work in uh, you know, the southwest side, all over Chicago, really. And uh, the, uh, the credible messengers, messengers, their job is to actually intercept whispers on the, on the street level in order to stop a killing on the front end. That's what's most important about Violence and Interrupters. Uh, we have, uh, I have a... I, I facilitate a 40-hour training with all of my staff, and I train people in the area of, of understanding the mindset of shooters in the community, how to work with high-risk individuals out in any community uh, nationwide, and we make sure that we help young men think on a higher level. It's like a public health model aimed at changing mindsets and behaviors associated, associated with violence. So violence interrupters, uh, they work the streets, uh, you know, non-traditional hours. Uh, we work a schedule from Tuesdays to like Saturday nights. For example, on a Friday and Saturday, my staff, they work from four to midnight and sometimes until two in the morning because we look at the hotspot areas. We look at all the data where most of the shootings are taking place. And it's very important to have people working with you that have personal relationships with the would-be shooters out there because a lot of those guys, they're not going to just listen to a stranger, you know, of course, because uh, that's what we talk about, credibility and having access to the young men. But what's most important also is influence. Once you uh, meet with the guys and mediate a conflict, uh, the guys, they, they must respect who you are. That's very, very important. So that's a, some of the work we do on the side of interrupting conflicts and violence. But after we mediate a conflict, and we then turn the young men over to social service agencies to try to help them become productive members of society. So it's, it's, it's like two sides of the coin. We're working on, on both ends, so to speak. Oh, I love that, T.O. That is so, such important work that you're doing there in the city. Can you tell our listeners why you specifically became so passionate about addressing violence in the city? Well, my birthday is September 21st, and I was born on the International Day of Peace. This is the day that everybody celebrates peace worldwide. So mainly uh, when I was raised over them projects and hearing on the projects, you know, it just appeared to be a natural fit for me because as a big brother in that particular community, I would always uh, you know, mediate conflicts before any cameras were rolling, before I was interviewed on the news. I've been doing this kind of work for a long time. It's just a lot of guys looked up to me just as a strong brother in the neighborhood that can make sense of the madness 
and bring people to the table, <laughs> I must admit. So far this year, uh, we've mediated about 40 conflicts on the front end, which could have turned deadly, but we stopped somebody from taking another person's life uh, with the mediation work that we actually perform. And I'll tell you a quick story. This, this is kind of deep here. This is kind of deep. Now, this is, uh, see, a lot of the gun violence is tribal and it's cultural conditioning, okay? So quickly, I'll just say the story as fast as I can of <laughs> what happened. Had a young guy that got shot in the leg, but he tried to rob another guy. And uh, when he ran back to his family after the guy shot him in the leg, he lied and said, well, the guy shot him for nothing. He failed to mention that he tried to rob the guy and his gun jammed. And the guy that shot him in the leg told him he would have taken he his life, but he, he said he would have taken the guy's life, but he respects the guy's family because they know he, he knew the guy, he knew the guy's family. So the guy ran on to his family and started whole stirred up a lot of mess, and they were going to come and retaliate on the guy that shot him in the leg. So I received a phone call, and I talked to the guy that shot him. He said, man, I want to meet with them guys, okay? Um, now, let me slow it down a little bit. Uh, this work is not for the faint at heart. Do not try this at home. <laughs> so I want to say that. I'm Okay? Uh, this is real serious. So what happened is that when I brought the guy out there to meet with them guys, he was straight up. He said, I, I, I could have taken his life, but because of you guys, I just shot him in the leg. He's lying. And he said, I have a witness that was there when he tried to rob me in his gun jam. And the guy conceded to just lie, and he, he just was uh, sticking to his uh, his first statement, the guy that got shot. But eventually the witness stepped up and said, look here, man, you know you shot that. You tried to rob a man, so what are you talking about? The man told you in your face he was going to take your life, but he decided not to because of your family. So after we mediated the conflict, so this way nobody goes to jail, nobody goes to the cemetery, and we allowed his family to, you know, talk to him and talk him down and, and shut the guy up to get shot in the leg. And they, they kind of, like, snapped on him, not physically and let him, but they really, you know, they used a lot of profanity, cussed him out and everything, and had him to apologize to the guy that shot him in the leg. As crazy as it sounds, but we stopped a potential death uh, that was in the making there because they would have retaliated because of emotions, it would have been too late, but we got a chance to mediate it and stop it before more shots were fired, in other words. So we've mediated around 40 conflicts so far this year, okay? Tio, there, there's a lot of people who feel helpless or overwhelmed just by the violence or they hear about it. How can listeners get involved and, and help work toward peace? Well, it's very important. There's different ways you can work towards peace. One is that the violence interrupters, we all, you know, people can visit my website, uh, violenceinterrupters.org and sign up to maybe volunteer. But we have people that uh, go to speak at schools sometimes to educate young people about the pitfalls of uh, being involved with you know gun violence or whatever the case may be. And then also, see, the violence interruption work, is, uh, it's important to have the right people. See, you can never uh, train the wrong people to do the, do the work. It's important to have the right people do the work because a lot of people say they want to help, but you may not be able to help in the field of mediating conflicts because this work, you kind of risk your life at times, okay? Uh, I've had, I've been threatened a couple of times, to be honest with you, but it's okay. I'm still here to tell my story, right? But yeah. the, uh, the yeah. thing is, people can help on different levels. They can help raise awareness, public education, uh, mm -hmm. speaking about stopping the violence. They can get involved to present at different schools and help us raise funds. But I don't always talk about funds because my the way I look at it, let's just do the work, just keep going. God has blessed me with the ability to keep it going no matter what. So those, those are different ways, you know, people can help, okay? So good. Tio Hardiman is the executive director for Violence Interrupters NFP. He has dedicated his life and career to community organizing for peace and social change. He is passionate about ending violence in the city of Chicago. You can learn more at violenceinterrupters.org. One of the things that I know uh, is part of the mission of Violence Interrupters is training and education. 
Can you talk to our listeners about how they can get more educated about what's happening in Chicago? Well, people can be, become more educated by, like I say, visiting my website, advancingrupters.org. I do uh, facilitate trainings for the community at large as well. I train in, in four or five different areas. I train in community and uh, engagement uh, when it comes down to reducing gun violence. I train in public education uh, campaigns. Like I said, uh, Advanced Interrupters is a public health model, so we talk about the public health you know, perspective and, and trying to address the mindset, behavioral change. I train, like I say, for sure, in violence interruption and working with high-risk individuals. And we also train in the area of working with faith-based leaders to try to help, you know, uh, you know, push the message of, of peace throughout the city and throughout our nation. And then last but not least, we do a training on our relationship with law enforcement. But we do not have a relationship with law enforcement in which we, we don't share information with law enforcement, but we do work with law enforcement, you know, because Law enforcement, they come out to uh, our community events. Whenever we organize marches against violence, you know, the law enforcement, they, you know, march uh, with us at times. So there's a lot of trainings that we uh, facilitate in different areas. And, and, and lately, uh, recently, I've incorporated restorative justice trainings and restorative justice peace circles and healing circles as part of the violence interruption uh, initiative. Yeah, Teal, we'd love to hear more about that. Tell us more about the restorative justice peace circles that you've just referenced. Yeah, I've been working with Moms for Demand Action. It's a group of women that are really standing up and speaking out against gun violence all across the nation uh, also. But really, restorative justice, peace circles, it's a very uh, a great process. It's a, it's a real good process, let me put it like that, because you have a lot of key stakeholders in a, in a restorative justice peace circle, and we get a chance to kind of like talk about some of the issues that we're faced with because, for example, a lot of people are dealing with unaddressed trauma out there. So in the restorative justice peace circles and the healing circles, mm. I've seen a lot of men and women both, but a lot of men in particular become very emotional uh, during these peace circles because they never got a chance to express what they're dealing with, and it helps to heal people internally, which mm. is so phenomenal, and I'm just grateful to actually add that component to everything that we're doing with violence interruptors because we've had some success stories where young men now are starting to look at life uh, a, little, a little bit differently when it comes down to their response towards uh, violence or when people, for example, let me just say this. When I talk about cultural conditioning, a lot of people in some of the neighborhoods, if someone calls you out of your name, if someone looks at you crazy, your automatic response would be to want to hurt that person. So now we have young men that are thinking before they act. And that's, that's like a, a step, uh, put like this, that's a step forward, in other words. That's progress when you talk about young men that are used to hurting somebody as soon as they have any slight infraction. So we're helping people calm down and begin to think before they, you know, uh, break the law or commit an act of violence. That's what's so phenomenal about it. Tio, I also I noticed that you're a, a professor at North Park University and you teach on criminal justice and restorative justice. What's just one thing that's been really helpful for students as they've, you know, really seek to learn more about restorative justice that you've seen? Yeah, first and foremost, I'm like an adjunct professor. I want to make that clear. And what's really good for the students, I'm working with a, a wide range of students from all across the world over at North Park University. And what's great is that I, uh, the students actually, uh, you know, they uh, provide a whole lot of feedback. They're totally engaged, especially in the restorative justice sessions. Uh, it's so important because a lot of people are not aware of restorative justice. And restorative justice aims to repair the harm that was caused. And some people think restorative justice is soft on crime, 
but that's not the case. What restorative justice, what restorative justice is all about is repairing both sides and we focus on the victims. We really, we, we really focus on the victims of crime more than anybody else. And that's what people should really understand. But the students love the class. I also teach uh, criminology and criminal justice, which we educate students how, you know, how the law works and all the components of the law and then criminal justice system and criminal justice reform. So we cover a wide range of uh, topics dealing with the overall process of healing the community uh, from a law enforcement perspective and from a community perspective, which I think is valuable information. Uh, and I've been, I've been receiving a whole lot of great positive feedback from students every time I teach. Every semester I receive a lot of outstanding you know, feedback from the students. I just put it like that. I'm sure that you do. Tia, let me ask you one more question and then we'll let you go. We've so appreciated your time with us today. I wonder, as you work in the city of Chicago and you're working amongst the violence, and I'm sure you're seeing so much pain and so much heartache, how do you remain hopeful? How do you keep your energy and your passion up for uh, fighting this good fight? Good question. What I do is I pray two to three times every day. I'm not pushing religion on anybody. I want to make that clear, but I'm a spiritual person. Okay, I just want to make be clear about that. But also, I work out two or three, three two or three times a week. I run a couple of miles twice a week, lift weights, run, and do whatever I have to do in order to just keep my mind, you know, keep my body healthy. And then with this COVID nineteen pandemic, I, I, I wear two masks every day. I want to say that because no one wants to, definitely no one in the world who you know would like to control COVID nineteen. So you know what I mean. So I'm doing my best to educate uh, people. And at the same time, I'm educating myself on how to stay healthy and how to stay spiritually fit as well because making sure you receive the right amount of rest every day is so important because if you know, what good are you to the world if you're not taking care of yourself? So when I uh, talk to young people, uh, one of the young people, uh, one of the young men most importantly told me one day, you have to become the message that you are presenting to the people, which in turn means Am I backing up everything I'm saying within myself? So I don't want to tell people to do something and I'm not doing it myself. So, you know, I'm not a perfect individual, but I try to make sure I'm 98% perfect, okay? You know, like, especially when I'm talking to young guys, because it's all about providing the proper leadership. You, don't, you, know, you know what I mean? You don't want to be seen as no fake type of person. You want to be straight up with people. So that's why I'm pretty much, I, you know, one of the regrets that I do have in life is that I want to become a United States Marine. I wanted to join the Marines, but I never got a chance. I'm more a military-minded type of individual anyway, but I believe in helping people. That's just been a, it's been a, call, a natural calling on my life. So that's what I do. And then I, then I meditate. I listen to the sounds of the ocean. I listen to the sounds of rain. But they have some music that you can get on YouTube, and you can just lay in your bed and just meditate. Oh, I love that, Tio. We are so glad that you have answered the calling on your life, and we will continue to support you. You can learn more at violenceinterrupters.org. Tio, can people find and follow you on social media anywhere? Yeah, just look my name up. I'm on Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and, and LinkedIn. I have a pretty good following on all those different social media outlets. So, yeah, you can look me up right there. Okay, that's Tio Hardiman, the Executive Director for Violence Interrupters NF. P. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good on this Friday afternoon. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my special guest co-host, my handsome husband, Kevin Sampson. Okay, Kevin, since Brian's gone and you're here, I thought this might be a fun um, chance for us. You know, we've been married for 20 years 
fun chance for us to talk about my new book, but also play like a little bit of a newlywed game. Like how well do we know each other after 20 years of marriage? Ooh, that's good. That's okay. good. Okay. All right. So I'm going to ask you, these I are going to be easy. Like I'm going to give you some softballs to make us look good as a couple for the listeners. Okay. Okay. Right. So here's, here's what I want you to do though. Don't answer. Have the question in your, or have the answer in your mind. And we're gotcha. going to guess for each other. And then we're going to see if we're right. Okay, so I'll guess what you you're gonna yes. answer. Okay, yeah, exactly. Okay, so here's the first one. What is your favorite place to travel to? Okay, I'm okay. guessing for you. Yes. Yeah, so, okay, what do you think mine is? I know you know this. Oh, it's a slam dunk. Disney World all day long, baby. Disney yes. World. Yes, I I know you. <laughs> I know you. And if I asked you, what is your least favorite place? to travel to you would give the same answer you would say disney world i would say yeah that'd be pretty pretty low on the list (laughs) somehow our marriage works okay for you i'm gonna say colorado yep okay okay all right throw me in the mountains yep you know me you're mountain people yeah my we're mountain people (laughs) i'm a theme park person you're a mountain person okay uh kevin we go on dates a lot we go to dinner and movies so let's talk about let's uh talk about our favorite candy at the movies wow um this one's hard because we don't always get candy at the movies but i think when we do we kind of stick to the same thing so i have an idea of what you like all right my guess for you yep uh licorice oh you nailed it good job yeah. babe good job yeah. yep uh my guess for you is um oh what are they called the the chocolate things that are minty I can't think of what they're called. They're not milk duds, but they're like milk duds, but they're minty. Why'd you force that mint on me? I told you I didn't want the mint. What? I didn't believe you. How could you not believe me? Well, who's going to turn down a junior mint? (laughs) It's chocolate. It's peppermint. It's delicious. (laughs) That's true. It's very refreshing. You know, just about any candy is a pretty safe bet for me. Yeah, yeah. Is there one at the? Is there one at <laughs> Andes, the movies? Andes, that, Andes, Andes. Is that what I'm thinking of? That's yeah. not what I'm thinking of. Maybe I'm just thinking of milk duds. But I also know you like mint candy, so yeah, I'm, mint I'm, candy cho- just, I'm creating the perfect candy for you, which is like a mint chocolate candy. Okay, Aubrey. Yes. Your your new book's coming out. Known how believing who God says you are changes everything. Tell us about the new book. Oh, What's it about? why? I thought you would never ask. Um, it is a book about just what the subtitle says, how believing who God says you are changes everything. And really, it's a book about how God names us and the importance of our names. And Kevin, you know, we have three sons together. And as each son was born or e- before each son was born, we spent hours Days, weeks, dreaming, praying, sometimes arguing about what their names were going to be. We ended up naming our kids after a prophet, priest, and a king. Is that consecutively? That is consecutively. That's the order we did it. Prophet, priest, no. Prophet, prophet, king, priest. Yeah, Yeah. prophet, president, king. Yeah, prophet, king, Prophet, king, priest is the order that we did it in. And the reason that, I mean, that sounds a little bit intense, I know, for some of you listeners. But the reason that that was important for Kevin and I to name our kids well was because we wanted to give them a model to strive for. We wanted to 
name them after people that we either in biblical history or in real life history, we felt like were examples of something that was something we were passionate about, like justice or like God's mercy or like God's power, because we wanted our kids to have really strong namesakes to live up to. And um, I'm telling our listeners that story because names matter. And I'm not necessarily saying like you have to name your children in some meaningful way or your name has to have this significant meaning. But at the end of the day, what we see throughout scripture is that we have a God who often names and renames his followers. Sometimes that's a specific name, like he will change, you know, uh, Abram's name to Abraham. He will change Sarah's name to Sarai. And sometimes it's... um. More of a like a meaningful name, like God, Jesus calls women who are unnamed in scripture daughter, or he mm-hmm. calls us all his beloved. He calls us his sons. He calls us his inheritance. He calls us um, uh, his children. And so I, I think um, sometimes in a world that tries to name us in ways that really are devastating or really try to. I don't know, make us feel isolated or make us feel like we're not enough or, or make us feel um, like we're wounded, broken people. Instead, God comes in and speaks a better name over his children. And so that's ultimately what's the what the book is about. It's it's really an identity in Christ book at the end of the day, but it's through the lens of how God names his kids. Aubrey, how what's the story about you know, as God was working in your life to write this book, where you began to see, wow, there's a, you know, God wants me to be known and and named mm. in gracious ways that you hadn't really experienced before. Yeah, th- this is actually a really powerful story from chapter two in my book, and I, I hope I can tell it well. But um, as I was writing, I was actually praying that God would somehow name me. And I didn't even know what that meant. I just knew here I am searching the scriptures about names. I want an experience of this. I want to know what it means that the Holy Spirit names people, you know? And I thought God would sort of name me like this. Here's what I thought. I thought I'd be praying with someone and they would say something like, oh, Aubrey, you know, I, I sense God wants to say something to you. God wants to name you preacher girl or writer or like I thought God would sort of name me based on something that I do, something that I'm accomplishing. And what's interesting is I was in a, a session with my spiritual director. This was like a year after starting to pray for a name. So this didn't happen quickly. All right. Like God doesn't always work on the timeline. Yeah, we wanted to. That's... In fact, my book was turned in. I still didn't have an answer to this prayer. And just before my second deadline, this experience happened. So it tells you how powerful God is. But I had been praying that God would um, simultaneously been praying that God would reveal to me that he was there in my childhood because I did not know God when I was a little girl. And so that was just like a a place in my heart. Like I wanted to know that God knew me before I knew him. And so incredibly, and I'll make a long story short, I was uh, with my spiritual director. It was our last session together. We're ending our prayer time. And the thing happens that I think is going to happen. She says, Aubrey, I have a name for you. And I'm like, oh, this is, you know, this is the moment. And she names me, um, she names me this name. I know this is going to sound funny, but I'll explain it. Avalanche Lily. She says, God wants, God wants to name you that. And I was like, what in the world is she talking about? Anyway, this is a very long story. I'm going to try to make short. 
But when I was a little girl, there is a place where I was, one of my very first memories of being somewhere where avalanche lilies grow. And so the way that um, God spoke to her about my name was making a connection to one of my earliest childhood memories. And so I realized, one, that God was naming me so personally, and also that God knew me in my earliest, earliest childhood memories. And I will never forget um, just being, I mean, I was just in tears talking to my spiritual director because I realized like, oh God, you know me, you see mm-hmm. me, you hear me, you knew yeah. me since I was a little, little baby and I didn't know you. And this avalanche lily name was so specifically tied to my childhood, which if you read the book, you'll find out more about why that's so important to me. But anyway, that's, that's just one really powerful story of something that God did. Yeah. What do you hope people learn or uh, receive when, you know, if, if they read the book? So I hope that people understand who God has called them to be. At the end of the day, um, it is so healing, so empowering, so impactful for us to know who God says we are, because there are so many voices in the world speaking other things over us. Um, mm-hmm. things that are either confusing or just distracting or um, leading to comparison and hustle and striving. And at the end of the day, I want readers to know God loves them exactly where they are in intimate yeah. ways. And um, yeah, I just want them to know exactly what the book says, that they are known. And again, you can find the book. You can pre-order it now on Amazon.com or at NavPress.com. Known how believing who God says you are changes everything. Kevin, thanks so much for interviewing me about my book. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, I'm I'm so excited for people to pick up a copy on Amazon and really experience God in their life in new ways. Well, stick around. We're going to be talking about church planting when we return. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good on this Friday afternoon. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my very special guest co-host, Kevin Sampson. Hey, Aubrey. Hey, Kevin. It's so good to see you at work in the studio, not just in the house. Good to be here. Hey, one of the other things that we do together, besides sometimes uh, co-hosting a radio show together, is lead a church together. We planted Renewal Church all the way back in 2015. Teen, yep, 2015, which October. seems unbelievable, um, planted Renewal Church in West Chicago. Brian, my regular co-host, is also a church planter in Downers Grove. And Kevin, I know that a lot of our listeners, we are talking about church planting. They have no idea what we're even saying. Like, what in the world is church planting? So I was wondering if you would kind of, get, I don't want a lesson on church planting, but maybe step back and tell us like, what, how God planted this dream in your heart? Because I'll be very honest and say this was Kevin's dream. This was not my dream. <laughs> and then uh, we'll talk maybe a little bit about our own church planting journey. Yeah, I would say it was God's dream. And mm. um, that, uh, you know, I think it was really born out of, um, I didn't necessarily feel like, hey, I need to start a new church. That wasn't kind of the primary impulse, but it really began as out of a, through a lot of relationships and just seeing that there are a lot of people around me that don't know Jesus. Hmm. 
And, and so a church plant is, uh, it's just basically started a new church to reach, uh, specifically to reach those people who don't know Jesus around you. And, and I would say that that's been the really kind of the primary burden. I think God also wired me, you know, a little more as an entrepreneur, a starter. And so church planting, uh, for a lot of years, I mean, I think we were probably in a 10, 12 year journey before you were like, okay, yeah, yeah, we can, we, <laughs> That's true. we can do this. But um, yeah, to not overcomplicate it is a church plan is just start a new church to reach um, new people who don't know Jesus. And I think probably one of the questions we always have gotten after you say that is, but there are so many churches around. Why would you plant another church? Why wouldn't people just go to the churches that already exist? And I know we have some solid answer for that. So Kevin, can you answer that question? Yeah, I mean, it depends where you're at, but where we live, there's 320,000 people who live within 15 minutes of where we live. And a lot of people do think there's a lot of churches, but every two out of three people, um, that's over 230,000 people, at least don't attend any sort of religious service around where we live. So two thirds of the people, for as many churches as we have, a lot of people either don't go to them or, or don't want to go or, or there mm-hmm. are, aren't really connecting with people who um, don't go to church and don't know Jesus. And so that, that was a big eye-opening statistic for us. Yeah. And I would, I would just add to that. And as we were kind of learning a lot of this, another thing that was eye opening for me is it's sort of like when a, I mean, it's going to sound a little funny, but like when the Walmart moves across the street from the Target, it's good for both businesses. It doesn't sure. steal business away from Target. Statistics and research has shown that Walmart grows, Target grows. And that's the same with churches. Like the church down the street grows, the new church grows. And that's just, I don't understand why, but somehow that's how the Holy Spirit moves in church planting. And I, I think another part of at least church planting for us was we wanted to be a church that wasn't just um, in a city, but was really for a city. We wanted to have a church that if we left West Chicago, the city of West Chicago would notice, like they would even grieve the fact that Renewal Church left because we had done so much good Mm -hmm. for the city because we felt like that was really part of our calling as Christians and part of our calling as a church. We love all kinds of churches. Every model of church is amazing in its own way, and God uses each church in tremendous ways. But we had been part of a lot of been a part of a lot of churches that were in cities but weren't involved in the cities. Like the cities mm-hmm. didn't even know they existed. And we wanted something different. And so church planters often have that kind of mission and vision behind what they're doing as well, wouldn't you say, Kevin? Oh, for sure. Just a strong vision for the neighborhood and yeah. That, yeah, that was a big a big part of, you know, what what we're doing. Um, so we're reading this article about women and church planting. Mm-hmm. Uh you're a woman and I am a woman. Uh, we have we have done this together, which is a pretty unique rare thing. Um both in terms of leading churches and especially within church planting, why do you think it is so rare for women to really be engaged in in church planting? Yeah, I I think that's a very large question. Um, I think one, you know, as Kevin just said, it, it, and he's not exaggerating. It took me about 10 to 12 years to get where I was like, okay, 
we can plant a church. Because I didn't know much about church planting at all. I'd only been a part of kind of traditionally, you know, historical churches that have been there a long time. And so this was a whole new thing for me. So I think one, a lot of women don't know what church plants are, just like a lot of men don't know. I think two, this goes back to what I think is a major problem in evangelical Christianity. We have not empowered women to lead. We have not empowered women to be apostles. We have not empowered women to be preachers or pastors or lead ministries in any shape or form. And it is just in the most recent years. And I mean, this is devastating to me, but it is literally in the most recent years that women have actually begun to see themselves as being called by God to plant churches, even if they're planting alongside their husbands, even if they're planting with a team of men. Women just have not been empowered to do this where men have. And so I think that's that's part of why this is a new movement. I'm excited to know that women like Liz Rios, who's going to be on the show, I think next week or at least here pretty soon, who's a church planter, is going to talk about how God has called her. Um, there's all kinds of uh, organizations like Passion to Plant that trains pastors, including female pastors, on how to uh, raise up women to plant churches. And so we're seeing a movement, but I think that's part of the problem. Kevin, for you, I'd love to hear just in the next minute or so, what made you decide, like, I want to do this with my wife and I want to empower other women? Because there's other women that lead a renewal. Um, what kind of gave you that vision to do it a little bit differently? Yeah, I think, well, bearing, being married to you, it was, you know, you at least need your wife on board. <laughs> right, part right, of it. right. Um, that's real. Uh, but I also, um, you're gifted uh, in just some great, in a lot of great ways. And and so, even though I had only seen church planting modeled with, you had like a male kind of lead past planter and, you know, his wife was just kind of you know, they're along for the ride. It was, I just really saw like, look, Aubrey, you're not just here along for the ride. Like you're just gifted and talented and need to be at the forefront of this as much as I do. And, and both for just for your own flourishing and the use of your own gifts, but also I really just believe that there were a whole lot of other women that just needed to see other women leading in significant ways. And so really right from the get-go, that was, you know, part of what we did. And so it's been part of how can I, you know, it's how can I just help anyone really flourish, uh, use their gifts and thrive. Um, but, you know, because of you and your gifts and what they are, it just really helped, you know, really model something for a whole lot of other women. But I I don't really, haven't really seen it um, mm-hmm. done before the way we've done it. Yeah, there there are there are some models that I know of, but there's certainly there's certainly not a lot. Hopefully, as time goes on, we will see more and more women raising up uh, in church leadership because I think that's going to bring a lot of healing to a lot of the devastation that we're seeing these days. Well, stick around. Kevin and I are joined by another church planter. Our good friend, Pastor Greg Armstrong, is going to be with us to talk about his church, talk about a new song he has out. So this is going to be incredible. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good on this Friday afternoon. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my special guest co-host, my husband, Kevin Sampson. And we are actually joined by a mutual friend of ours, (laughs) Greg Armstrong. Hi, Greg. Hey, hey. I'm so glad to be here. 
This is so fun. I love this. This is awesome. This is Greg great. is the founding and lead pastor of Renew Church. He's the founder of Renew Collective. And we are so thrilled to have Greg talk to us about his ministry, about a new song he released, and a lot more. So, Greg, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Hey, everybody. Greg Armstrong, born and raised on the west side of Chicago. And I uh, love this city. And uh, I have a beautiful wife. She's fine, fine. She's and look, we're going to be married 17 years this year. Oh, congratulations. Wow. That's yeah, awesome. 17 years. I have three boys, 10, four and eight months old. So I'm struggling wow. right now, but we're going to be all right. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I passed an awesome church uh, in Lyle, Illinois, called Renew Church. And uh, I also serve um, on the team at a seminary, Northern Seminary um, in Lyle as well. So good to be here. Great to have you. Greg, you just came out with a song called Good, and we're going to listen to a clip of here of it in yeah. just a moment, but set it up for us. Tell us, you know, how, where did this come from and, you know, what are you trying to, what do you want people to hear? Yeah, so Good, um, Good really is, it, it serves a few purposes. One, it's kind of paying homage to, historically to my family. I come from gospel music roots mm. and, you know, we've done a lot of music in the multi-ethnic space. And I said, man, I got to do some music that really, really reflects and honors, you know, my, my, my auntie used to play the organ at church and my grandmother, and, you know, and That's that kind awesome. of, so, so I said, we're just going to dig, we're going to dig at this one. Um, but on the flip side, you know, um, I wrote it during the COVID season, the heart of the COVID season. Um, and it was just so much, right. We had George Floyd, we mm-hmm. had division, we had political unrest, we had polarization, and uh, for me, I had to walk out of all that to say, you know, in spite of what we've all been dealing with, like we can't miss the fact that God is good. And so I wanted to write a song where it's really upbeat. We're we're dancing, we're singing, we're having a great time, just just celebrating the goodness of God in spite of mm. all that we've been facing. Mm, that's such a great description, Greg. And I would say that is definitely what the song Nailed feels it. like. Yeah, Come absolutely. Up. Let's go ahead and take a listen to some of Greg's new single, Good. Exactly right. That is, that's, we need that reminder, like so desperately right now, because it feels like in so many ways, the world is falling apart, even Mm. in a somewhat post pandemic season that we're in. And so being reminded that God is good. Yeah. It's, it's such a good word. Do you write a lot of music? I do. I write a lot of music. I, you know, I write more than we can actually record. You know, that's kind of the tougher part, getting the time to carve that out. But I write a lot. Um, I write I have writing partners like like Jackie Owens, who you all we, we lead the collective together, Renew Movement, um, mm-hmm. you know, and some other friends of mine. We write together quite a bit. So I love it. I love songwriting. I love music creation. And it's one of the things that I said I'd never stop. You know, even when I started pastoring, I said I'd never stop um, creating and making music for God. So yeah, tell us about you, Pastor Renew Church, and tell us how yeah you planted it a couple years ago, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, how, give us a picture of what it's like. Yeah, Renew Church, man. You know, shout out to Renew Church. That's my family, and I, I really 
I'm really honored to be a part of the spiritual family. We literally just turned three like this last year. Oh, happy birthday. Oh, happy birthday. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So we're, we're, we're still babies, but we planted in the West suburbs of Chicago, which I'm from, I'm from the West side, kind of migrated through the West suburbs all my life growing up. Very monolithic uh, um, area growing up racially, mm-hmm. right? It was, it was mainly like middle to upper class, mainly all my friends out there were white or, or whatever it may be. And you didn't see much diversity. So you come to 2021 or at the time, 2018, 2019, I'm walking around kind of some of the old neighborhoods I used to hang out in and there's so much diversity. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So many different people. And so part of our mission is to plant churches in spaces where that diversity is possible. So we call ourselves bridge builders. We, we exist to see all things new in all people. And mm-hmm. so, so we intentionally find spaces where there's a melting pot in place and where the gospel can actually bring reconciliation mm-hmm. um, to people. So our church is crazy right now. Like, I mean, like this, and it may not be crazy to some, but crazy to me. Like we got like 70, 70 year old white women with, you know, um, and and by the way, being a multi ethnic church, we use terms like white, black, Hispanic. I hope that's yeah, 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 yeah. We seventy year old white women with like a fifteen year old like basketball star black dude, and you know we that's got awesome. yeah. Wheaton College and and that's people awesome. from the city down. It's crazy right now at Renew, and I'm just grateful to pastor such a diverse group of folks, and we're we're making it work. Oh, I just love it. I love it so much, Greg. I love hearing what God is doing through Renew Church. Can you talk to us a little bit, something you mentioned when you were talking about this song, the pandemic, right? All of the racial unrest, all of just the, I I would say, turmoil politically, a lot of the division, a lot of the strife. And then on top of that, the pandemic itself, the health crisis that we have been in. How were you encouraging your congregation during this past, you know, year and a half or so? Yeah, that's good. Well, one thing is, the devil's greatest weapon is division. Mm. And if you look at everything we've been facing with COVID, politics, sports, I mean, everything, it's been a, it's been, there've been divisive moments. And mm. I, what we've been encouraging our church in is don't play into the game. Like don't play into the game of division. The world wants, the enemy wants to see us divided at any topic, whether it's it doesn't matter what it is. His greatest joy is to see us divide over it. So the greatest mm-hmm. thing we've been trying to do is to lean in to the uncomfortable conversations, to lean in to the spaces that are not very smooth and not very ironed out so that we can actually rest in them together. I believe that if we if we all remain around the presence of God together with all of our differences, that the Holy Spirit has a way of sorting it out. And that's mm-hmm. that's even aside from all the hurt and pain and, yeah. and grief and, and that a lot of folks have been, been experiencing. But we've been, just been encouraging them that God, um, God does slow work, right? The best mm-hmm. food you can eat is mm-hmm. slow, slow cooked food, right? right? You don't want them fast. And we are faithful enough in this season to believe that even if we don't see some resolve that we want to see in our lifetime, that we're a part of the seed planting that the next generation will reap a harvest from um, in the future. Yeah. Amen. Greg, that's such a good word. Greg, can you tell us how people can find you? How can they connect with your music and how can they find more about the church? Well, you can find more about the church. Listen, myrenew.org is our church website. You can also find me at gregarmstrong.org. And I got to put this quick plug out there. We just greenlit this like this morning. Oh, what is it? What is it? All right. 
we are going to do our our renew conference again in November, which awesome. we, which we put off last year. Of course, we've always had about two to three hundred local church leaders, worship leaders, musicians, uh, pastors that would come. All colors, all denominations. We That's worship fantastic. together. We learn together. And I need the Samsons there. I'm telling you now. I need y'all. I need y'all there. I think we it's need to be there. Yeah, we need, we need to be there. Greg, can you tell our listeners a little bit more about the Renew Conference, what it is, what they can expect, how they can find out more? Yeah, so Renew Conference, we started Renew Conference in 2017. And so for a close to 20 years, I was a worship pastor. And the last church I worked at was a very large mega church. And, you know, budgets were never an issue. So I went to every conference I wanted to go to, right? And the issue was, there were so many small and mid-sized churches that didn't have those kind of resources. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it burdened my heart. I, I'm like, we need to give these churches an opportunity to experience like a conference atmosphere. Like I've always been able to experience. And so we birth renew conference with a bunch of friends and the goal was for it to be just as excellent as we would experience at like any other great conference across the country. But we did it for like really, really cheap so that all the teams and pastors, no matter the size of your church, could come. And it was a great success. And it was just an honor to be able to to see like a small startup church that didn't have anything to come and say, thanks for for training our Mm. worship team and thanks for training this. And so the heart of the conference is worship. So initially it was geared towards worship leaders and worship pastors, but we expanded that to more so church leadership. So we ask everyone to bring your entire team. It's a weekend of refreshing. We work so hard week in and week out serving people and loving people through our gifts. This is our opportunity to say, let us serve you. It's hilarious. If I can say this really quick. Go for um, it. When we started the conference, I would call call everybody and say, if you need to come to this conference, blah, 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 blah. And they were so surprised that we didn't ask them to do anything. We said, hmm. we just want you to come and just and just be refreshed. Let us sing wow. over you. Let us lead you. Let us. In. And so, so that's what, that's our blessing to the local church. And then in addition to that, we have amazing um, breakout, breakout speakers who come and pour and just minister everything from like the pastor worship leader relationship to um, how to build community outside off of the stage or to women in ministry or uh, worship and justice. All these things are going to be happening at the conference this year. And so you got to be there. And, and awesome. let me tell you where to find it. MyRenewConference.com is where you can find it. MyRenewConference.com. It's live. Like right now, we just hit go on it this Woo-hoo! morning. And we're excited. I know we're cl- we're close, but we, we were teetering between if we were going to do it or not. I'm just going to step out there and just do it. And, you know, hopefully we defeat this um, this COVID that's, that's, that's really right. kind of, it's just really yeah. over everybody's head. And, but God be praised. Amen. Greg, you and I both lead multi-ethnic churches, you know, with that explicit vision, that language in the Western suburbs of Chicago. So, you know, somewhat similar areas and you're, uh, you're black, I'm white. Mm -hmm. And what are just some of the challenges you see, you know, uh, really leading a multi-ethnic church here in the Western suburbs of Chicago? Yeah, I think one of the major challenges, it's a surprising challenge, it is how much you find that people don't necessarily want that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. People being very comfortable um, with their own. And, that, you know, that's, that's, 
you know, you can understand that to a degree that it's very tribal. It's, you know, my people mm-hmm. are more comfortable because multi-ethnic, as you all know, leading a multi-ethnic church, it's messy. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's messy. And I think uh, a lot of people will shy away from it because it's messy. Um, yeah. But I think that those are the challenges. People not wanting to really enter into that space because it's uncomfortable, but also people shying away from the messiness that comes with with it. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. um, it's yeah. a beautiful right. mess. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. But, you know, until you really lean into it and see what God can can do out of it, I think that that's the challenge. Yeah. Not to mention, of course, a lot of the, 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 the social antagonisms that really speak into people's minds. And, and I think I heard last week that people are discipled like 80 percent of the week by news. Right. Wow. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> by, by the time they get to me and you, Kevin, on Sunday or me and you, Aubrey, <laughs> by the time we start preaching, they're like, hey, I've already made up in my mind what I'm going to be talking <laughs> yeah. about. You got to convince me otherwise. That's real. That's exactly right. Greg, um, let me ask you kind of a follow-up question to that. So we could we could probably talk for hours about the challenges and even yeah. some of the pain. I wonder if you can just think of one or two stories of what you've seen God do specifically in and through your multi-ethnic vision or his multi-ethnic vision, really. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, man, this is, yeah, we'd be all day with this too. Um, have a great church member who is in her 70s, who um, is in a life group with, you know, younger black women. And the way in which she pulls me to the side in a posture of repentance to say, Mm. I'm sorry that I'm just getting this now. Mm. Wow. But I'm here. I'm here for it. That's good. Like, come on, man. Like, like, and not only me. But I'm like on the I'm on a path to discipling and bringing alongside my other friends who we just didn't see it. Mm-hmm. We didn't see some of the unrest and divide. We didn't see, you know, and she's so apologetic about everything because, you know, mm-hmm. she's so she's so she's so awesome. And, and she's like, I said something last week in life group and I just want to say I'm so sorry. It was just Aww. the dumbest thing I've ever said. Yeah. I mean, the, oh, we're, we're starting to get these very sensitive, um, authentic responses towards like racial reconciliation and love and the Imago Dei and the image of God, Mm. you know, it's starting to happen and vice versa, you know, vice versa, um, exposing, you know, a lot of our black Hispanic congregation to other worlds that we just were not very familiar with and seeing just this unity happen. It's just, it's just, it's just awesome. It's amazing. That's incredible. Pastor Greg, Tell us, uh, how how do you feel about just the future of the church? Are you hopeful? And what do you see? Listen, man, I'm so excited about the church right now. I can't even tell you it. Listen, the church is literally the hope of the world. Mm, and, amen. And, and this look, these last couple of years have not been setbacks. They've been readjustments. Right. Mm. And we're we're more clear now. We're more focused. We're more innovative. I believe the church has gotten so much stronger and so I listen, we're about to see more lives come to Jesus. We're about to see more lives impacted, more marriages mended, more. Right. It's about to happen. So I'm very hopeful for the church. I love God's church. It is his mechanism and tool to impact this world. So I, I'm all in. 
Amen. Amen. It's fantastic. So fantastic to hear. We have loved having you today. Thanks so much for being with us. Kevin and Greg, you guys need to go to coffee sometime soon or lunch sometime soon. I'm in. (laughs) It's on me. It's on me. It's on me. Uh, Greg Armstrong, again, is the founding and lead pastor of Renew Church. He's the founder of Renew Collective. You can find more about Greg at gregarmstrong.org. You can find out more about Renew Church at myrenew.org. And again, the website for that conference that we will be at, because it sounds amazing, is myrenewconference.com, November 12th through 13th. So mark your calendars and be sure to check that out. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good on this Friday afternoon. My name is Aubrey Sampson, and it has been a joy to be thrilled today. I mean, a thrill, a joy to be joined today. (laughs) All the things. (laughs) All the things by my husband, Kevin Sampson, as my co-host. Kevin, thanks so much for being with us today. I love being with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're great. You're great on air. Um, Okay, so Kevin, one of the things that Brian and I love to do every Friday, this is actually our most favorite thing to do except for interview our fabulous guests that is our top five list and we like to come up with top five lists about anything from sports moments to movies to food and so i thought with brian gone today this was an opportunity to give someone else an opportunity to step in to the top five list uh game show it's not really a game show but the top five list experience that's a good way to put it so, couldn't be more excited top five what what are we gonna yeah talk that, about? i'm so glad you asked that question we're gonna talk about the top five things we are most looking forward to this fall as the seasons begin to change and the kids mm. go back to school i thought that would be fun for us to discuss top five things we're thinking about this fall and so um we have a little kevin you may not know this we have a little theme song by our producer, Deb, that is absolutely one of uh, another part of Brian and I's favorite things about the show. So let's go ahead and listen to that before we start our top five list. Top five, top five, top five, top five, top five things with Brian and Aubrey. All right. So that's our little jingle, Kevin. We love that. Love it. You know, love isn't it, it fantastic? Um, all right, Kevin, here we go. Top five things we are looking forward to this fall. Kevin, I'm going to have you go first with your number five. Okay. The number five uh, would be kids are in school all day. Oh, I don't even have that on my list, but I should have put that. That is a really good one. All right. Kids are in school all day. That is a fan. I made a. Yeah, that might have been my, my number kids. one. I, I love my kids. <laughs> but you also love when they're in school all day. All yes. right. My number five is fall fashions. I like to put on a hat oh. and gloves and a coat. Like I like when it gets a little bit chillier outside and you can move from your shorts to your jeans. That's my favorite thing about one you of my do. favorite you, things. You about are fall. more of a fall, fall oh, dresser. I am definitely a fall dresser. Yeah. That's exactly right. All right, Kevin, do you have a number four? Number four, um, I love biking and running outside, and I am looking forward to less humidity. Ah, that's a really good one. Less Less humidity. Humidity. Uh, My number four is sort of connected to that. I am looking forward to more fires in the fireplace, although we do. Our kids (laughs) do run our fireplace every single morning, even in the middle of the summer, which kind of is ridiculous. 
But I am looking forward to it actually being chilly when we wake up and we turn it on and get cozy. And yeah, coffee. we may do, need to explain our fireplace just has a button. Yeah, it just has a button. And it goes on. Yeah. So <laughs> it's sort of a problem in our household. The kids always, always turn it on, even when it's like 90 degrees outside. It's kind of ridiculous. Um, okay, Kevin, what is your number three top five number thing three? you're looking forward to in the fall? I am starting a doctoral program at Northern Seminary this fall, so I'm looking forward to it. And what will you be studying at Northern Seminary? Community development. Wow. They're looking at the intersection of race and the gospel and how that affects communities and churches in particular. Well, that is going to be very exciting. All right. Mine is not as deep as yours at all. My number three, because I'm looking forward to fall decorations. I like decorating our house and our front door for the fall. Oh, oh, yeah. That means I'm going to have to go into the attic to pull out the fall bin. Doesn't yeah, it? get ready for it. Start preparing oh, yourself. My mentally back already hurts. <laughs> yeah, start gearing up for it. All right, Kevin, number two. Uh, number two, which, you know, I look, f- I'm looking forward to it this fall, but I look forward to it all the time is eating ice cream. <laughs> no, how is that connected to the fall in particular? I, I don't know, but <laughs> I love ice cream and, you know, in the fall, it's just, you know, we walk down to some ice cream places around us and, uh-huh. and eat it and eat ice cream. So I mean, I'll put it for any season, but it was one of the first things that came to mind. Oh yeah. Fall ice cream. Do you, I mean, I don't know that there really is a fall ice cream unless you're having like pumpkin flavored ice cream. Is that something that you partake in? You know, uh, pumpkin flavored? Mm-hmm. Or like apple pie flavored? I mean, ice cream strikes me as a summer thing, not a fall thing. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to connect with what your, your fall ice cream thing is. I think it's just ice cream. You can, you know, I would prefer, I, you know, moose tracks or peanut butter, <laughs> chocolate. Mint chocolate chip. <laughs> okay, and so really this like, isn't about the fall. You just like ice cream. Ice cream. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what it's about. Okay, I all right, just, okay. <laughs> all right, I get it. What's okay. your number two? Number My two, number Aubrey. two is um, retreats, fall retreats. I feel oh, like yeah. there's always, I'm, I have some fall retreats I'm speaking at or like church often has a fall retreat depending on if we're in a, the middle of a pandemic or not. Oh. So I like sort of fall getaways. We have a trip planned for my dad in the fall. I like fall events. That's true. Yep. All right, Kevin, do you have any honorable mentions before we go with number one? Oh, no, let's just go with number one. All right. Okay. Number one, what is your number one uh, thing that you are looking forward to this fall? And it's by far the number one. The Bears winning all their games <laughs> and going to the Super Bowl. The Bears is, winning all their games and going I to the Super Bowl. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. Do you have Super Bowl hopes because of Justin Fields this year? I mean, that's definitely a big part of it. But um, I had hopes last year and he wasn't there. But this year with Justin Fields or Andy Dalton, I think they could go all the way with either one of them. All right, think, all right. I hope that the happens Bears, for your the little Bears winning, The Bears winning football games, <laughs> beating the Packers. I know some of your listeners may like the Packers. It's okay. We can still be friends, but the Bears are going to win. All right. I hope I hope for your little heart you get that victory. All right. My number know, one. What's your number one? Ops? Yeah, my number one thing I'm looking forward to in the um, fall. It's kind of like the Super Bowl for you. 
I am looking forward to all the movies that are going to come out in the fall that will be up for Academy Awards. I feel like fall is the best movie season. So that is sure. what I am excited about. Fall movies and even fall seasons of TV shows starting. I am looking forward to that. Well, Kevin, that's a top five list. Well done. We'll see if Brian approves. He better. Yeah, he better. Thanks so much for being with us, hon. This has been so fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing movies with you this fall. Can't wait. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody. We hope you have a wonderful weekend. We hope you join us again on Monday from 4 to 6 p.m. for The Common Good. For Kevin Sampson, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.